0: I would literally have to say, hi, I'm, I'd like to present a peanut butter that's made with almonds. That, that's how I would have to describe it because nobody knew what it was because almond butter was relegated to the natural food dungeon. It was it was over at the co-op.
1: Welcome to Alleycast, where we talk all things business, body image, mindset, and more. If it's juicy, we're talking about it, baby. Let's dive right in. I'm so excited you're here. Um, so for everyone who doesn't know, um, Jennifer is just such a dynamo. Um, she, so she helps us a lot with, you know, kind of the day-to-day of Queen um, and just bigger kind of strategic issues and things that we have going on. Um, she's just such a mentor to us. So I'd love for you to just kind of, you know, share your story a little bit, how you got into the food industry um, and just like a little bit about you, you know, wherever you want to go. I'm down for it. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, that's so nice. Well, thank you for having
0: me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to talk to Allie from Queen & Co. <laughs> I founded Barney Butter Almond Butter in 2006. And at that time, I had school-age children. My youngest had just started first grade. And I had been making, so just to back up even further. So my husband and I originally started our family in the Bay Area. So we were living in San Jose. This was like the early, I don't know, this is the late 1990s. Um, We started a family and, um, you know, everything was going along great. We both had banking backgrounds. That's how we met. Um, And we had this great opportunity to get, quote, unquote, promoted. um, And that meant we had to move to the Central Valley of California. So if anybody knows California, it's so funny because when I talk to people who um, don't know California. And they say, you know, where are you from? It's either LA or San Francisco. Yeah. You know, and if I say, well, no, I'm actually from the central Valley. They kind of look at you like, like, where's that? So true. Well, there's this bounty of like produce that you probably eat that, that is grown in California's central Valley. Nobody really knows that. Um, and, and kind of actually embarrassingly, I didn't know that either. So when we moved to Fresno, um, I had no idea 80% of the world's almonds are grown in Fresno or well, i grown in Central Valley a, a lot in Kern County. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden I'm in a place where there's no whole foods. <laughs> there's one Trader Joe's and it's, you know, not convenient to get to, you know, It and I was feeding my, I was kind of an early adopter of the natural foods movement. I was feeding my kids like unhomogenized milk, you know, the cream top. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. yeah Yeah. I wasn't crazy. I mean, I wasn't crazy or, you know, about everything had to be organic, but I certainly was making my own baby food. I mean, there were no choices back then. You literally, there was either Gerber or you made your own food and there was no in between. Wow. So moved to the Valley and I had been, you know, you're not supposed to give this back then the whole peanut allergy thing had not really been figured out. Um, and you're not supposed to give kids under the age of two peanuts. Mm -hmm. So I was giving them, you know, almond butter figured out that, you know, the stuff in the store is just really kind of gross. Mm-hmm. So I was making my own almond butter and, um, people really liked it and they wanted, you know, me to make it for them. And b- basically I just kind of figured out that, you know, I could make my own natural products a lot better. And and, and particularly, I don't know why I just landed on almond butter as like the thing that, <laughs> that just was really particularly gross that I thought shouldn't be um cuz almonds are so wonderful and everything so um as my kids grew up I learned that you know they didn't really want to stir the jar and they wanted something that looked like Skippy because the neighbor had Skippy so I'm like well I can make Skippy at home you know mm-hmm. so what I figured out is that if you blanch the almond you take the skin off and you roast it you basically have something that looks and acts a lot like peanut butter. Um, and then I, and then I wanted it to be a no stir product. So, and I, and I didn't, you know, back then it was trans fats was the big, you know, um, of, of thing to avoid, right. High fructose corn syrup and trans fats. And so, um, so I went to palm oil, which, you know, now if you want to talk about palm oil, that's, that's really not a desirable ingredient in the natural foods world, but, um, it was what you could, would turn to at the, at the time. We didn't really have a lot of information about deforestation and all of the bad things that, that are associated with the palm oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, but it was considered an okay product for whole foods and it was considered a natural alternative a natural stabilizer. So, um, so I kind of put my food science hat on, which was not something that I knew anything about. So, so literally, you know, banking background, I had a bunch of little kids, we moved to Fresno. I had, Four kids under the age of five.
1: No way. <laughs> no twins. Oh my gosh! How started making? <laughs> yeah,
0: started making my own stuff. Um, and then we yeah, and then we made friends with a lot of almond farmers. Um, a lot of farmers in general, but you know, particularly almonds. And um, this was you know, it was kind of like you know, it's funny. You probably found this too with starting your business, but it's kind of like when you um when you hit something at the right time, you know, it, it happened to be that almonds were trending. They had this healthy halo, you know, yeah. around this time, 2005, 2006, um, because for a really long, long time, people may, might not know, but you know, almonds really struggled as a crop. I mean, I don't know if you remember the ads from blue diamond growers back before blue diamond had any um, any recognizable like brands outside of just like the can of almonds. I mean, it would be like, you know, I don't. You guys probably don't remember because you're too young. But there was this TV ad where it was like the farmers are standing in a pile of almonds, like up to their waist and yeah. just eat a can a day. Yeah, can a day is all we ask. You know, that was the ad because they're trying to just push almonds. Almonds was just another nut commodity, like anything else. And around this time, they began to be really popular. Um, you know, as a really good source of protein, and you know, kind of like the king of nuts. And, um, so I, I just hit something at, at, at the time where no one was really paying attention. And so one day the pool lady, not the pool lady, the tent, my kids had a tennis coach. Yeah. And the pool lady, actually the, both of them, you know, both of them within like a couple weeks of time, like whenever it was that I owed, owed them, um, you know, the, their month's fee or whatever asked me if I could pay them in Barney butter. <laughs> instead of
1: cash. And I was like, what? You're like, (laughs) yeah, something I'm onto something here.
0: This is literally nuts. I am like, okay, I'm putting this in a store. So I, you know, you, you figure out what you have to do, right. You figure out what you have to do. You do what you have to do. There was no natural foods industry. There was no like guidebook. There weren't mentors. There weren't people I could just call up and be like, Oh, Hey, you know, you were successful doing a brand. Like, give me some tips. Like,
1: how do you figure this out?
0: There was nothing. It, this was not a cool industry to be in.
1: Like when you went to buyers and said almond butter, were they just like, what? Like were they confused? Yeah, they that-
0: either thought I was right. They either thought I was talking about a health and beauty product. Like, what do I do? Like I put this like, you know, on my legs, <laughs> yeah. you know, like shea butter. Either thought they either thought it was that and I would literally have to say, hi, I'm I'd like to present a peanut butter that's made with almonds that that's how I would have to describe it Mm because nobody knew what it was because almond butter was relegated to the natural food dungeon. It was, it was over at the co-op, you know, it was over where like all like the hippie ladies with long stringy hair would shop, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't cool. So, um, yeah. And then things, and then things just, they went really fast and then, you know, and then they were really difficult because I had to get investors and, things didn't really work out the way that they probably should have. And because I ended up going with private equity Um, and back then it was very different than what the environment is today. So, so anyway, that's all to say that um, I've learned a lot through my experience and um, there's, it's a way friendlier environment today, but there are still a lot of things to watch out for. And
1: so that's why I really like to advise and help other people it's just so helpful to have, like you were saying earlier, I mean, you had no one like that. And now it's almost the opposite way where, you know, instead of zero options, there's a thousand options, which I don't know what's more difficult or more confusing. Um, probably, you know, when there was zero, but at the same time, yeah, it just can be very overwhelming. Um, but backing up, I mean, I have a million and one questions about just the beginning. Cause there's a lot of people that, you know. DM me or email us who are just like, I have an idea for, and it may not necessarily be a food product, but you know, I have this great idea, but where do I even begin? Right? Like what is step zero to one? And I think a lot of people get stuck there. And I feel like you sort of just nonchalantly, you know, mentioned like, oh yeah, I just started making it at home. And then, you know, some of my friends started buying it. And then all of a sudden I went to buyers and like glossed over, you know, just how like that, that process can be really difficult, especially for you. You mentioned, you know, you didn't have a food background at all. So I guess getting more granular, like how was that process like for you? Was it, you know, intimidating? I guess, how did you get over that hump of like, you know, where do I start? Because like you said, you had no resources, you know, were you just kind of, you know, trial and erroring it? Like (laughs) kind of what was that, you know, that period like when you were just figuring things out? Did you work with a food scientist? Like, Take us through that.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'll tell you what exactly happened. And then I'll tell you what I would have advised myself then, because I think honestly, I just got really lucky Yeah. in that, you know, I, I didn't know anything about problem solution and I didn't really understand product market fit. I literally was doing something to satisfy myself because I thought, that a certain product should be available in the marketplace and it wasn't, so I was like, "Well, shoot, I guess I'll make it myself." Mm-hmm. And then it just so happened that other people needed the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, what I think, so so I'll, so I'll tell you what happened. I mean, yeah, I I I, I knew the attributes that I wanted. It's very simple, right? This is not a complex. I wasn't making something, you know, bioengineered. Right. I was making a very simple comp comp. Uh, concept, Mm -hmm. which was peanut butter, and wanting to make those same sensory attributes into almond butter. That was all I was trying to do. Because again, at the time, you know, the generation that my kids are in their mid 20s right now. Okay, so maybe some of your audience can identify, you know, you're you're, you're that age group, maybe a little older. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you guys probably grew up Discovering natural foods around the same time that maybe your parents were discovering. I mean, depending on like right Right. what your household was like, but but in general, you know, in the late nineties, mid nineties or whatever, it wasn't normal to have foods that were sort of like grainy to the texture, you know, to your mouth. That you know, it was still it was still big food. It was still you know the things that your mom brought home from the grocery store. Were made by General Mills, Kraft, Conagra, Nestle. Oh, you I know. grew up
1: on Bagel Bites, Gushers, mat, like Kraft Mac and Cheese. It was it's a miracle, honestly, that I am okay today. <laughs> I mean, not to like yeah. you know like shame anyone who still eats those Good foods, but for it was all those fortified products, right? It was no vegetable, like no Whole Foods. You know, it was all like refined, refined, refined. So yeah, I know what you're saying. Everything was so yeah. um, hyper palatable. And so, yeah, like the thought of having a grainy spread would have been just like, you know, wait, what do you mean I have to stir it first?
0: <laughs> right. Like, yeah, exactly. Like seeds on your bread or like, you know, moms that would like cut the crust off of their kid's bread and right. stuff. That, okay. So that that's kind of, you know, so so I wasn't trying to do anything super sophisticated. So I was – and I did something to please myself and my family. Um, so, in terms of food science, the biggest thing I had to figure out was the stabilization, right? A no-stir product that wasn't using, you know, hy- partially hydrogenated oils. That was the most sciencey thing I had to do. And no, I did not hire a food scientist. I didn't even consider that there was such a, 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 a you know, a job that mm-hmm. somebody had available. You know, I, so I, I like went onto the Journal of Food Science, and I was my, I became my own food scientist. And it was like really kind of funny because I found some paper that some. You know professor in the University of Georgia had written um, about you know the use of palm oil as a stabilizer in nut butters and I literally called him up wow. and, the, and the guy was the guy was so thrilled <laughs> that somebody took interest in his research paper I'm sure and he was like oh he's like I I because the one I found was you know several years old and I guess he had done some follow-up study and he was so excited wasn't published yet and he was gonna email it to me and you know so anyway um it was a lot of just working on the bench literally in my kitchen figuring that figuring that out and then yeah com- taking that and commercializing it scaling that up in, at a co-packer was was absolutely challenging and i feel like again you know i have to use the word luck mm-hmm. just i was in the right place at the right time um you know I, I just happened to find a co-packer that 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 had a neighbor that had just moved out from colorado that knew something about nut butters because he used to do nut butters for this grocery store called wild oats, wild oats got bought by whole foods many years ago. But, um, it it just was again, you know, good luck, good timing. And I found somebody who wanted to work with me. Um, and you know, again, I just made the smallest batch that I could possibly make. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just did the requisite things that you had to do. And I didn't think a lot about it. You know, you got the UPC code, You know, a a girlfriend of mine, her dad used to be in advertising and design, and he made me a logo for free, you know, nothing was optimized to the consumer at all. And, and it was, it was completely just, you know, I made a checklist, I ticked off the boxes just so that I could just get it into the store so that I just didn't have to store the stuff in my garage anymore. Right. (laughs) That that was the goal, you know, and and it was like, well, maybe, I mean, of course I had in the back of my head, like, well, maybe this could turn into something. You know, but I mean I was busy raising these kids. I I had to like I was like shuttling them around after school, you know, I I had all this other stuff going on in my life. And um and and so so what I would say to to people today is you know, look, um that's not the necessarily the path anymore. You know, it's not about getting lucky and it's not about I mean, I, I certainly think that, you know, being at the right place at the right time is helpful, but You know, don't just don't like there's 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 a lot of activity in food. There's a lot of people trying to do CPG brands. And so the good that comes with that is that there's a lot of resources and there are a lot of free available information to avail yourself from. There's a network of people that are happy to help. And so you don't have to go at this alone. I very much went at it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if I was doing it today, I would have done it much, much differently. And, you know, maybe had the same result, maybe not. Right.
1: Yeah. And for people that, you know, maybe they have this idea, how would they validate that, you know, before, I guess, investing a lot of time or money or, you know, um, energy in launching it?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, honestly, I would
0: say, and I, I and I've written about this in 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 my in my newsletter, blog, whatever you want to call it. Um, you really need to think less about product and think more about the solution. What is the what is the consumer problem that you're trying to solve for? Mm-hmm. And once you really understand and have deep empathy for what that need is that's not being fulfilled, then then you really think about product. And and I think as People who are not of the food industry, well, a lot, well, even people in the food industry. But I I think, in general, what I find is that founders tend to have a product in mind first, Mm. and then they, you know, they're just anxious to get that out. And um, and 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 that's okay as long as you come at it with the mindset of what problem am am I solving, and 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 is it a real problem or is it one that I'm imagining. And the way that you do that is, is, okay, depending on what the product is, I mean, there's a number of ways to do it, but the the philosophy really is to not get yourself into a financial hole where by the time you've figured out what it is that you need to do, you've run out of funds. Mm. So, so you wanna try to identify that product market fit in a way that gives you runway with whatever your funding is. So let's say you're self funding initially which most people are and you've got some savings and you know maybe you have a partner or not or whatever you know maybe you just don't have any financial commitments and you're you're kind of living off the savings in mom's basement or whatever you're (laughs) willing to do this for a year Mm -hmm. you know you kind of have to sort of be very realistic about you know how many times can I iterate a product or how how much can I you know if you if you look at like you know I hate to use all like the famous, you know, all, all of the brands that we know today. But if if you go back to the roots of a lot of these brands and the way that they started, they they figured out a way to either put their product out on consignment in a way or put their product out like even at a farmer's market where it's just, you know, The ability to to basically fail there, meaning that you haven't paid for slotting, you haven't you know signed any distributor contracts, you haven't gotten yourself into any kind of a commitment, and you're able to be around the actual people, so you're 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 literally almost conducting a demo Mm -hmm. as well as you're selling, right? So you know, I mean, when I say on consignment, you know, I'm thinking about when RX Bar went and took it to climbing gyms. Yeah, you know, they they could just hang around, you know, the um whatever the office or whatever the, the check-in counter, right? And their bars are literally sitting right there. And you could just sit there and observe. You can just observe people, you know, buying your product, consuming the product, you know, you know, what are they willing to pay? What are their comments about it? Same thing at the farmer's market. Typically, people are buying it and eating it right there. And they're telling you what they think about it. You know, you don't have to get it into a store.
1: Oh, the feedback in person is just priceless. I mean, I remember doing Whole Foods demos and it was actually a little tough. I don't know if you experienced this as a founder because sometimes people wouldn't know that you're the founder, you know? And um, some of the negative feedback, which is the most helpful, obviously, but just as like a people- pleaser. I was like, ugh, like every little dagger, you know, in my heart. Um, so I think there was a point where I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. <laughs> um, Oh yeah. You
0: know, I had a woman in Berkeley at the Berkeley whole foods who came over to my, to my, my station, my demo station, literally, literally started yelling poison, oh, no. poison. <laughs> and like, Pointing at my – and, like, all the people at Whole Foods were, like, backing away from
1: me. (laughs) Stop! That's insane. People in Berkeley – I mean, I can say this, obviously, because I went there. Like, it's a different breed for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, No, I remember the best feedback we got – or the most – not best. The most um, memorable feedback that we received was in the Erewhon stores in LA because, I mean, that's just, like, a subset within a subset of people that are natural food shoppers. Like, I just remember – one woman spit it out because she found out that we don't use pink Himalayan sea salt. We use um, like regular salt. And so she was just like, she like basically like threw up in front of me. And I was like, can I help you? Anyways, wow. so a little tangent, but, um, but yes, I think in-person is so helpful. Um, and I guess, I mean, now with, you know, social media too, do you think that's, a valuable way to get instant feedback or do you think it's really important to sort of get it in front of someone physically?
0: So, yeah. So kind of backing up, you know, I was saying, don't be product fo- focused and then I started talking about how you can go test your product. So, so I mean, backing up a little bit, you know, if you if you have an idea about if you see a problem and you think that, you know, you're best equipped to solve the problem. Okay. You know, Maybe there's a product you have in mind. Maybe there's not a product you have in mind. Honestly, being super open about what the solution could be is the standpoint that I try to advise everybody. You know, don't get too married to the form or the category or the particular product itself. Focus on the problem. So there's a lot of ways that um, you can essentially kind of survey your consumer. you know, you can do, you can, yes, you you can do online surveys now, at, for pretty economical cost on like SurveyMonkey, or, you know, there's a ton of insights, um, tools now that are co- cropping up that are kind of DIY, because it used to be that, you know, if you want to do consumer research, you had to go to a consumer research firm. And if you weren't a corporate with deep pockets, you can't afford to do these sorts of research, because, you know, to segment, the right population and to get the right, um, you know, screener questions and to get it to be statistically significant, meaning you're surveying, you know, more than a hundred people and you're able to cut the data in certain ways. Like it's expensive to, to do that, but there's a lot of tools out there today that are DIY. The thing is, is that what I've seen is that unless you understand you've either taken a course, at, in college or you really, really understand how to do research, most people set up their surveys incorrectly.
1: Mm.
0: So then you're getting wrong insights. But if you talk to an advisor, get a mentor, talk to somebody who's done all, and, and I, I not, and by the way, I learned all that stuff after I was, um, had sold Barney butter and I went to go work for a big CPU company. Um, I, I did a lot of consumer insights. So that's where I gained that understanding. Um, and so I'm super grateful for for that. But um, if you can if you can survey your 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 population that has the supposed you know problem that you want to solve, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of insights from there that can then inform what the solution needs to look like. You're still not done, right now. Now we're just doing now we're just doing prototype number one, mm-hmm. okay. And then what I would suggest is employing kind of a DIY what I would call what well what is called in the industry, which is rapid prototyping. And rapid prototyping is okay. Now we've come to the place where we understand what the what the need is. We now have this hypothesis on the solution. The solution is going to be you know um, a, a you know a particular form of product. Okay, so we make our pro- we make our very our first variable. Now we go and we test that in some way that we can get actionable results. We can iterate very quickly and we can put it back out to test.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. And you want to keep, and you want to be, you want to do this in a way that you can continue to do it again without running out of money, without running out of it really it's money. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, 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 and I'm being a little bit vague about the ways in which you can do it because obviously, you know, um, there are so many ways to do it. If if you have a presence on social media like Ali you did you did before becoming you know a company if you have a presence on social media it's easy to put up a Shopify account it's easy to now promote yourself as hey I've got this product you know for you know and you can you can actually you don't even if you if you really want to just get the insights and you, and you're considering it as an investment you can just do giveaways and get feedback that way you don't even have to like be like trying to "Quote unquote," sell mm. because you know you're still in product development mode. But but I I I will say, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I will say that everything I'm talking about right now, I think, I think, gets overlooked and missed by a lot of advisors and mentors because they kind of want to help you right at the point when you already have a product, and they want to just help help you sell it. They want to help you get more investors so that you more get more funds so that you can grow your distribution so that you can hire your net, your first key employee, so that you can like get going, which is all obviously the goal. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but if you, if you, if you're, if you haven't really nailed it, right. If you haven't really figured out that your product is actually, not only is it tasty, but it actually uniquely satisfies the consumer need better than something else. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not setting yourself up for success if you haven't figured that out first.
1: No, I totally agree with you. And I think too, I mean, it's just, it's sort of human nature. Like it's, I think it's exciting to have a product. Right. And it sort of is validating of like, okay, this is my thing that I'm going to be pouring all of my time and energy into. And it's not as rewarding to pour all of that energy into you know getting to the product right like the process you want i think most of us at least want that instant gratification um but you're right it's so important to take your time and you know my thoughts on it i wish we had taken a little more time i think i think i mean obviously i'm like everything happens for a reason i'm fine with where we are but um in the beginning it was sort of just like we had this idea you know, we, I was lucky enough to have some sort of following on social media. So like you said, you know, we sort of just put up a pre-order thing, but there wasn't any sort of intention or thought, um, you know, as much as we could have behind, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? Um, there was a little bit of that, but like, it was our first company, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. (laughs) And so, um, you know, it's been a lot of like iterating as we've gone, um, which is, I think still important and, you know, always trying to grow and improve but um you're right i think that's such an overlooked piece and then another sort of question on top of that because i know a lot of people are intimidated um and then we can move on to more like fun body image stuff but um i know a lot of people are intimidated by you know the financial side of things and everyone has a different opinion There's so many different ways to, you know, grow a company. You can take on money before you launch, you can bootstrap it. Like, what is your personal opinion on that piece? You know, how, how should people, um, not like how should they fund it, but how should they make a decision around, you know, what's the best option for them?
0: Yeah. I mean, so again, I'll go back to, there's so, there's so much interest in investing in this, in this sector that founders really are in the driver's seat of being able to maintain control Mm. and being able to kind of call their own shots. Um, I mean, there's never been a better time. So, you know, obviously you have to have a, a product, a brand, a company, you have to have proven, you know, that you can do it in order to, you know, garner interest from investors. Um, So, so, you know, if you've done, if you've done a good job and you, and you have something that people are interested in, um, you know, I, I think that using other people's money so that you, so that if your venture fails, you are not putting yourself and your dependents in any kind of financial risk is really important. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, if you can get to the place where, okay, let's say now you're ready for Seed. So you've done the friends and family, like you've put in, you've put in whatever has been needed. You know, getting yourself to let's say two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of revenue is what I would call pre-seed. It's what I would call just like, you know, you have friends and family that believe in you, and you know, so it's either your own savings or whatever. So whatever it takes to get you to at least. I would say two hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be kind of on your kind of on your own. You know, you're not you're not going to go to an investor and be like, "Hey, I sold out at the farmer's market yesterday, so my <laughs> revenue so far are five thousand dollars." Totally, <laughs> fifty thousand dollars. You know that. So you're going to have to get to a certain point. So you know, if you can get like I would say, you know, that early stage early, early 250,000 in sales to maybe a million in sales. At that point there, you know, um, a lot. I mean, you're still really, really early. And a lot of people won't talk to you. But there are investors out there that will talk to you at that point. And, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to access those investors. There are accelerators. It's a good thing to do to really kind of either join an accelerator or go to a pitch that has some sort of, um, you know, incubator portion to it. Um, you know, or you can just do it on your own by, you know, joining a network in your local area, be it like a a naturally Bay area, naturally Boulder, you know, those kinds of organizations, Mm -hmm. avail yourself of all of that. And then you, you know, you'll, you know, you'll meet people who will want to invest. Um, and again, it's not a one size fits all. Um, but you know, in general, yes, you, you know, you don't want to give away this. This this is all stuff that I talk about and I write about. <laughs> I write about. But you know, you don't want to give away. You don't want to give away a majority of your company. You don't want to give away control. And and you don't have to. And, and I get. I think that's the overarching message is you know, if somebody comes to you very early on and they're a fast talker and you know they. Um, say things like, you know, they can take you public, or, you know, they're going to do this and that for you. If it sounds too good to be true, (laughs) it probably is too good to be true. And just watch out for anybody that, you know, says that they have to be in control, or that they're going to take, you know, a majority stake, obviously, that that's, that's just, that's just leading you
1: down the wrong road. Totally. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, just the more, pe- like you mentioned, the more people you can talk to and the more, um, you know, you just, cause I remember I was so, Eric and I were so nervous when we first had our idea, you know, we were nervous about other people stealing our idea. So we didn't talk about it. We didn't, you know, share it with anyone. And I know a lot, I've, you know, gotten a lot of messages from people like with a similar kind of mindset. But then once we started just you know talking to people reaching out to these different groups you know you know naturally bay area and stuff it was like crazy how supportive and connected you know people within the industry were and all of a sudden we're talking to people you know like you and people who are helping us and um yeah so i think just the more you can network too and you don't have to be like i think networking people have it in their mind that it's this like sleazy you know you're at like a cocktail bar like networking party you know i think just just connecting with people, like building relationships. It doesn't have to be this like big, scary thing, um, either.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Networking, like my definition of networking is, you know, you know, someone that knows someone Mm -hmm. and you reach out to them on LinkedIn and say, Hey, do you have, do you have, I would, you know, I'd love to hear your story or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an aspiring entrepreneur. or I'm a founder with, with this. Do you have 30 minutes do you, you know it doesn't have to be a big long thing and what you'll find is this inter- industry is full of people that are more than happy to you know give you 30 minutes of their time exactly and in the right direction or if they don't have the answer they know somebody and then you that that's what networking is it's not exactly it's not the it's not the cocktail party like, Hey. <laughs> thank
1: <laughs> goodness have- yeah um and, and
0: and one other thing you touched on that i think is important is um you know, a lot of really early stage people want want to you know have me sign an NDA, which I have no problem doing. Um, but you know, and I and I experienced this with my first partner. So my I initially at, initially when I started the company, I was buying almonds, and then um, I was exclusively buying them from one particular supplier because I had figured out a, a particular variety of almond that I wanted to use, and and they were my exclusive supplier. So so it was kind of natural for them to. Um, it wasn't natural necessarily, but they, they knew what I was doing. So they became mm-hmm. a, a partner of mine, a, a, an equity partner of mine. They were so secretive and private about everything. Mm. They didn't want anybody to know what we were doing. They didn't want anyone to see, we built our own facility. They didn't want I mean, I could not let anyone in for a tour. Wow. Because they thought that somebody was going to steal our idea. Mm. Okay. And here's the thing, guys. An idea is not valuable unless you monetize it. Okay. And to monetize an idea, think about everything you've had to do to get to the place where you are today. You have had to work 10 and 12 hour days mm-hmm. every single day. You wake up and do your business. You go to sleep doing your business. It's constantly on your mind. It's grit. Mm -hmm. It's a percent grit and nobody else is going to have, even if you shouted it from the rooftops, this is my product and this is how you make it. There's, there isn't going to be anybody else in the world that's going to put the grit behind it. Mm.
1: That you are. So don't be afraid to talk about your idea. That is so powerful and such good advice because in the beginning, I think it also comes from a really, like that fear probably comes from just, it kind of speaks to how naive we were right in the beginning. Cause you're just like, Oh, someone's going to steal my idea. We had no idea <laughs> how freaking hard it was going to be. And now I'm like, steal my idea. I dare you to try and do what we've done and work as hard as we've worked. I'm not saying that, you know, other people don't work as hard as us, but like, we're just working really hard and it's, it's tough. And there's a lot of people out there that, you know, have an idea, but they don't follow through with it. Or, you know, they, they're just, they realize, you know, this isn't for me and that's totally fine. And, um, but yeah, I think getting to that, that's such a good point that you brought that up because it's just changed so much. Like now, you know, I see all these other granola butters popping up and I'm not even, you know, concerned because I'm just like, number one, they're growing the category, which is cool. But number two, you know, like, I just, I don't know. I have that confidence that, you know, we've put in the work and we're continuing to grind literally and figuratively grind that butter. So (laughs) I feel you. Um, but I would love to switch gears into kind of more the, the body image side. Um, cause I know you mentioned that that was, you know, a huge part or not a huge part, but a, you know, component of your story and your journey. So, um, would love to just touch on that. And, um, I know we're sort of coming up on time too, so I don't want, I want to be respectful of your time, but, um, you know, take us through, I guess your relationship with your body, um, how that impacted even, I, I know you mentioned, you know, you were cognizant of, you know, feeding your kids organic or just eating more naturally. Like, where did that come from? You know, was that out of like a fear of gaining weight or a fear of, you know, being unhealthy, like just would love to hear kind of your, your journey with your body and food.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, um, for sure. So yeah, I, I just, I, I think it would be helpful for your listeners to know from somebody who now is like, kind of like on the other side of totally, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a grown woman now, you know, I have grown, I have grown children of my own. Right. And when I was kind of coming of age and, you know, in high school and college, I mean, this is, we're talking about the late eighties and early nineties. Um, it was not like today where people were really open about, um, about their struggles with weight or body image, or, you know, it was kind of almost maybe cool to sort of be somewhat anorexic Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, but no one was talking about, no one was talking about it. And I was always a very active, like when I was little, I loved gymnastics. I was in gymnastics. And then I, you know, when in, in high school I did dance and, you know, I, I I just was always a very like conscious about my body being strong. Um, and, um, and being fit fitness. I always felt like, you know, I was always going to be fit. I was never going to be overweight. And I'm a, and I'm a petite person by nature. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I always just t- felt that pressure of looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, I was really young. i I was like, I have a September, September birthday. So I, I went to college. I was 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I really kind of I think I, you know, and I don't know if, if girls struggle with this still today, but I really didn't know like how to like care for myself other than I just can't get fat. You right? the freshman oh, 15, right. I, was, I was just so, um, you know, I'm now I'm living in a dorm and I was so freaked out about gaining weight and I, yeah. And I, I completely got, um, got, got crazy with put what I was putting in my body. Like, I was hyper hype, like way overly hyper sensitive about, um, what I was eating. you know, was it going to be good for me? Um, what am I going to, am I going to lose, am I going to, you know, and and so I was restricting, Mm -hmm. restricting, 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 and then binge. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that pattern started happening. And then, um, and and it was, and I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I mean, even like my best friend roommate, like I don't know what she thought was going on with me, but then mm-hmm. um, I was like jogging like crazy and I lost weight and, you know, it, it just was really kind of, it just was really kind of, a it, it. you know what it was? It was like something that I felt I could control, but then in actuality it was controlling me. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I didn't have, you know, I, I think that this went on for much, much longer than it needed to, because at the time, again, people weren't open about it. I couldn't go on to social media. I mean, if you can imagine, we had no cell phones in those days, mm-hmm. there were I mean, people didn't have, you know, the internet. I mean, you know, so there <laughs> was just like community. <laughs> there was
1: no community. No, totally. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt real, real quick. Um I mean, it's just our stories are so similar, which is is so interesting. Like even just aside from, you know, our products, but also um, you know, our stories with our bodies. Like my when I was, you know, struggling, it was freshman year of college and I think there's just this as you were talking, I was thinking like there's this combination of a lack of education around, you know, body love and what it means to care for yourself. And honestly just like Logistically, my parents always cooked me food, took care of me. All of a sudden, like you said, I'm on my own. And then there was this huge um fear and shame around this freshman 15. Like I don't even know where that came from, but I remember my parents who are, you know, amazing, even mentioning it like jokingly, sort of like, you know, don't come home with the freshman 15. And I was like this perfect, you know, little angel child, like people pleaser. And that was like one of my biggest concerns, which Now is just, I mean, maybe getting good grades should have been a better, bigger priority, but at the time it was just all around, you know, keeping my body small. And so it was a total just lack of education. And we had internet obviously, but you know, I was just Googling like how to lose the most amount of weight in the least amount of time possible. So it was, you know, pretty equal to not having any support because the results that I got were like terrible advice. Um, so I just want to interject because it was... Yeah, it's so crazy how similar our stories were. Um, and then yeah, I, got, and I was, Yeah,
0: I was treating my body horribly because I did not have... Well, the education that was out there at the time was that you needed to restrict fat. Mm, right. And um, yeah, it, so it was the low-fat craze. And so what was I doing instead? I was eating tons of sugar. So, I, mean, I was living on popcorn and frozen yogurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was getting good nutrition. I had no concept of nutrition, right? which, and, and so, and I, I, so I will say this is a little bit kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I promise to come back around. So I'm a first generation. Um, um, my, my, my parents are Cuban. So I, when we talk about food, okay, culturally food for me growing up was a really positive thing. Mm-hmm. love The foods that my, my family would make, you know, I learned to make these foods myself. Um, and you know being being a little a little bit heavier or, or whatever was actually a po- is a positive thing in, in that culture you know it's also too because like my grandparents you know that generation it was like that's a sign of like you know whatever well-being and wealth you know right. you're a little on that side so but but um i lost all of that i completely lost my sense of you know what i really what makes me feel good, what I love to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was completely on this whole Americanized thing. So c- yeah, so coming back like at Thanksgiving or Christmas, or whatever, and being back around my family and being back around like, you know, the normal food, I would kind of like normalize. I would somehow, somehow I would get my my regulator back in sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then something would trigger me. And I remember very, very specifically, you know, my grandma hadn't seen me in, you know, whatever, several months. And when she saw me, she was so happy to see me. And she like pinched my cheeks. And she said, I gotta need that. You know, little, little heavy one, little fat one, you know, and she was complimenting me. But I took it as like, Oh, my gosh, I'm fat. I got to lose weight. And I was, you know, I remember being like mad, you know, and, and so, um, anyway, coming full circle, I just want to give everybody a lot of, you know, these are normal things. I think that most people struggle with, even if they don't necessarily, um, think that they, I I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of people struggle with this, that, that, that we are not aware of. Let's just say that, um, I think there's a lot more resources and a lot more openness about it today. And so the ability to kind of talk about it, I think is something refreshing and, and helpful. Um, but you know, I eventually did, I don't even know what to say, grow out of it. I, I, I don't know like what happened. Um, you know, I probably would have been able to kind of get over it sooner had I had help and, um, and, and, and people to share with, but I, but I didn't, I, I kept it all very much secret and um, it took me a really long time, but it, 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 for me, the signs of it kind of getting less and less contr- uh, uh, control over me was just, it just became less frequent. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to kind of, you know, get the normal sense of when my body felt full and when my body was hungry again that sort of self-regulating began to just happen more often. And then there would be longer stretches of time that, that would occur between like, you know, feeling like I, I was out of control with food or, Mm -hmm. you know, freaking myself out over, over, you know, being restrictive with certain, certain things. Um, and and eventually it just, it just went away, you know, it kind of went away and, and, um, you know, I, I think that um, society puts a lot of pressure on us um, and that part maybe has getting, is getting better because I think we're celebrating different body types mm-hmm. now, um, which I think is all really positive and really good. And, and you know, I, I look at my kids and I, I feel like I feel like they have a much healthier relationship with food than I did at their age. Totally.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, first of all, I just appreciate you for sharing all of that because even though it's, you know, in the past and you're kind of, you know, beyond it, I think it's always sometimes challenging just to kind of revisit those, um, those thoughts and feelings. But I think it's going to help so many people just, you know, even showing that, you know, like you said, you know, it's generation, like it, it, you know, spans generations. Like, you know, it's, history repeats itself with you know what people are going through and um you're never alone um and i think it's just such a cool full circle moment that you know you had this you know disordered relationship with food and then you went on to create this badass food company and i thought it was really interesting when you were saying that you restricted fat especially and then you created an almond butter company and i was like that's so like ironic but in the most amazing way um And so it's, yeah, I think also just, you know, the outgrowing it thing too is really sort of interesting and, you know, we could unpack a lot there, but um, I think sometimes people feel like, you know, that's why I really try and promote, um, you know, there's a whole spectrum of disordered eating. You don't have to have, you know, like a clinical eating disorder or, you know, be hospitalized or anything like that. Um, cause I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I have to, you know, invest in seeing a therapist and all of these things. And I think kind of what you were talking about, you know, we didn't go into, into details with, you know, how you started to heal your relationship with food, but it sounded like you sort of just, you know, as you started loosening the reins around, you know, trying to control things so much, things actually sort of healed, um, heal themselves because, you know, for me, the more I, you know, clung tighter onto this false sense of control, like you mentioned, the more it had control over me and it just perpetuated this restrict binge cycle. Um, and then when I started to allow, you know, more foods and, you know, kind of explore more food freedom, then I had a more just balanced relationship with food and I didn't feel like I had to binge or, you know, overeat on every little thing that I had been restricting. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I just love this conversation. Um I'm sure everyone will find it super helpful and then I'll definitely link your newsletter as well. So where can people find you? Um in the meantime, you know, include your like website or um just where people can get yeah. a hold of you.
0: Um, yeah. So um, yeah, feel free. Anybody that you want to talk, my email is Jennifer at third Oh my God. That's a whole nother story. Why, why third and Broadway? I d- you didn't ask me the question. I'm kind of glad it's sort of embarrassing. Um, and um, yeah, my website is third um, thirdandbroadway.com. Um, There's a subscribe link to my newsletter there. It's a weekly kind of insights no BS practical and tactical information for food startups and the ad community actually too kind of connecting ag um with food. Um so yeah, so that's how to get a hold of me.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Thanks, Allie.